0: Awesome. Well, hey, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, so good morning. Glad you guys are here. Glad you guys uh, chose to kind of hear a little bit about Awakening and transforming uh, the city that where you guys reside. Uh, to tell you a little bit about myself is um, I'm founder and CEO of Awaken Ministries International. Uh, we're a nonprofit based in Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, for the last five years, we have been doing a weekly outreach that has been reaching uh, our city, uh, primarily homeless uh, that are, uh, reside there. Um, and so what we do is, uh, on a weekly basis, on Sunday nights, we meet down in Youngstown. We, meet in, uh, we used to meet in a coffee shop, and uh, the owner let us just kind of have that for the nights. And we used to have worship, and we would go out in the streets. We would pray with people meet people on the streets, no matter who they were. didn't have to be homeless. It could have been anybody out there. We'd pray with them on the spot, um, talk with them, invite them back with us. And uh, the majority of them would actually come back with us, want to come to the coffee shop, see what's going on, the music, and then we would hold a service. And so um, that was kind of what we started doing about five years ago. And uh, we also, as AMI, we also do some work also, as well as doing conferences on college campuses. In fact, this time next month, We'll be at Penn State University working with CAIAFA and other student organizations putting on a conference there uh, as well as we do stuff also in other nations. Um, For instance last year around this time we were down in El Salvador and we were preaching in prisons and so uh, we kind of just are going after it and just running after uh, when the Lord said go in all the nations and preach the gospel and that's really what our heart is uh, to awaken cities to the love of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so today, though, I want to speak to you on the topic of awakening a city to God's love through outreach. Awakening uh, is a common term kind of like uh, that you, you hear a lot. It's a vernacular that you hear in the church. Awakening, sometimes it's almost used interchangeably with like revival. And uh, and and so I, I found this great definition kind of separating revival and awakening that I really loved uh, the the contrast there. It said, Awakening and Revival seem to have been often used interchangeably, but there is a great distinction. An Awakening takes place when God sovereignly pours out His Spirit and impacts a region and changes a culture. A revival, on the other hand, is when the church comes back to life, when the church becomes what it was always meant to be, a return to passion. And so I want our time today, I chose Awakening to be Uh, strategic in the sense that I want us to see how we can impact culture and and impact our community where we're outreaching to, And outreach is kind of that outreach arm, the hands and feet of Jesus touching the city, touching the law, touching those that don't know of his love and don't have relationship with him. And so I want our time together to be almost like a launching pad um, of us to kind of get inspired, us to maybe uh, rethink some things, look at some things, and and kind of just glean and learn from each other. Um, And so that's what I want to do. So we're going to go into our first point here. It's called become the message. The why we do outreach. Basically, uh, for me, um, I like to share more so from experience than just kind of head knowledge, and so I I can only give what I have already kind of done, and so uh, I'm sharing a little bit of kind of the Awaken Youngstown, or Awaken Yo, as we call it, story, in the sense of how we got started down there, but if you're somebody who's trying to think and kind of dream a little bit of what can we do in our city, uh, one of the things that I always tell some people when they want to plant or start to do a new work as an outreach, ministry as I encourage them is the very first thing is begin to pray pray Because when I was younger and all of a sudden I had this dream of my heart and I felt like, man, it's just like sitting in me and it's just like a hot potato, you know. And it's just like, man, I was just like, you know, what? I don't know what else to do with it. I was young. I didn't know anything about business, how to set up a nonprofit, all the legal stuff. I didn't have a building because I had a dream to do it like outside of a coffee shop and that kind of atmosphere. And so I wasn't sure what to do. I don't even know how to start a coffee shop business, anything. So I just knew one thing, pray. So I just began to pray. And so I know I said that we've been in operation for five years, but really it was seven years ago is when I really had that dream. So for two years, I started just beginning just to pray, intercede on my own, just praying for my city, praying for the leadership there, praying for the people that I don't even know their names yet, praying that whenever we do start doing that, that he would just direct our paths that, you know what, you prepare the way and we'll walk by faith. And so as I started praying into it, uh, you know, um, there was this quote that came to me in that season. And, uh, and I love this. It says, nobody else will put more into a dream God placed in you more than you will. You got to invest in your dream. And the best way to steward it is to pray, begin to pray. And then what I started doing after that is I began to share with my inner circle, um, just some of my friends. And just saying, hey, you know, I just really have like this dream and I, can I share it with you? And they wanted to hear about it. And as I started sharing with them, they... They were like, "Oh my gosh, yeah, we we want to start doing this. We want to we want to see this happen." So we started meeting. Then a bunch of young men uh, in our early twenties. We started just meeting every Tuesday night uh, in a back room, and just started interceding and praying for it for our city. And we would go out after when we were done praying. We'd go out to restaurants, and we would try to bless people and pray with people, and just the very simple uh, thing that we we do is the waitress comes in, gives us our food. Hey, we're about to pray over our food. Can we? Anything we could pray for you about, you know, that simple just being out there and wanting to just impact our city. You know, it really reminded me almost uh, kind of a parallel in a sense in the scripture um, in Luke twenty four forty nine, and it's where Jesus goes, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in a city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now we already were baptized in the Holy Spirit, but what we were just doing is like, we don't have, the door hasn't been opened yet. But what we're going to do is just pray and keep stewarding this thing in our heart. And uh, and so until that happened and how the door opened up for everything to happen, a uh, tiny little story was uh, we were at a Slovakian fest uh, in downtown Youngstown. I was walking around and this random guy who, who was a young adult was walking and he came up to me and he says, I need a ride to my house. My best friend ditched me and I'm stuck down here and can you get me a ride? And I was like, um... I didn't. I felt like okay. I felt a peace. I was like okay. Well, it's cool. With the Holy Spirit cool with me. I was like yeah. Let's do it. Let's take you home. So I drive them all the way home, drop them off, and we talked a little bit. And on the way, I don't know. I just started to share my heart my passion. And uh, I was like, well, you're in my car. I guess I could tell you this. And uh, <laughs> I was like, you're trapped now, buddy. And, uh, and so he's in the car with me. And then all of a sudden he, I'd share all this, you know, I'm just like, yeah, you know, I just, man, souls are going to be saved. And uh, cause I asked him if he was a Christian, he, he was, and he goes, that's cool, man. He's like, this is my house right here. And I'm like, oh, okay. I was like, yeah, I was like, that really deflated my balloon. So then he gets out of the car and no joke, the next day, He gives me a call, because we exchanged numbers, and he said, listen, ma'am, he goes, I told my dad about your dream. And I want to tell you something. My dad owns Joe Max, the coffee shop in downtown Youngstown. He loves your dream. We think it's amazing. And he really wants to meet with you. And so all of a sudden I just met with him that like that same week. And we just talked about this model of how we could scratch each other's backs in the sense that, hey, you get free advertisement and publicity because we're sharing that we're all at Joe Max. I said, you have people coming in to be you buying your coffee and all that. I was like, but then you know what? We don't have to have a building and have to worry about rent or anything. It was rent free for us to have it there. There. So he gave that to us. And then it got to the point where it just got to the point where we had to leave there because we were just outnumbered that place. And so we had 70, 80 people there packing it out small confines. The fire marshal wasn't okay with that, so we had to move. And uh, believe it or not, a uh, Trinity Methodist church actually knows everything that we're about, knows, you know, we're AG and all that. like you know, And they're just like, yeah, you can have our whole basement, open it up and do outreach and just do it. So it's amazing when the kingdom of God comes together, and we're kingdom-minded rather than silo-minded, and we're going after this aspect here of reaching our city because we have a lot more in common than we do in difference, Um, and so if we keep it about Jesus, I love it, And, uh, and so we are to become the message. We are not to simply cheaply imitate, but to demonstrate. A great story that I think that speaks to kingdom strategy uh, is I love this story in the Bible where Peter's meeting Jesus for the first time. And you can find that in Luke 5, 2 through 4. I love this way how Luke describes it. It says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he, Jesus, stood by the lake... And he saw two, boats standing, uh, saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into the boat, and it was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, "'Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch.'" I love that story because I, I, I love looking at the scriptures in a, in a, in looking at it as far as a historical sense, you know, contextual sense, uh, you know, culturally. Um, but I also look at the parallel, the prophetically looking at it as a parable, parallel thing. And looking at this, I was like, man, isn't that cool? It's like, Peter is like, um, this guy's washing his nets. I said, it's almost like the church, like we need to be in this place where we're washing our nets, we're getting ready, we're preparing ourselves to do outreach, preparing ourselves physically, spiritually, um, you know, all that, financially. And so we're getting ready to cast our nets, but you've got to have Jesus in your boat. And so that's the whole emphasis of what I'm sharing the story of Kanaeo, was the whole, the whole idea here is to get his heart for your city. When you pray for people, when you're praying for a city, when you're praying for your enemies, all of a sudden God has this miracle in your heart, doesn't he? And he starts changing your heart to actually having, increasing your love and your compassion and your will to want to see the betterment of those people, the people that you're targeting. So I encourage you, the difference between outreach events and influencing your city through outreach is that those involved must become the message. They can't just merely attend and just want to help do this and do that. They have to literally breathe that passion. They have to have that spark, that ignition, that separates it. When every single person involved in that outreach, they are moving with a passion to see souls transformed. Not just to kind of check off something like their good deed for the week. And that comes from leadership. That comes from, from you. It kind of goes, flows right on down. And so... Um, they have to become the message. God has a strategy for you and your church to apply nearby and see an impact. So uh, after, as we started, kind of got that building, um, it took a while, obviously, to set it up. And, uh, and so me and a couple of my friends that were in part of the prayer group, we used to just go out into the city. We said, let's go out in the city. Let's go out. We're going to start just seeing the lay of the land spy out the land in a way, kind of meet people, get to know names, get to know business owners, get to know these people and let them know what's about to happen. And we just begin to start praying for people. And we saw God touch people all over. Um, one real quick story was this lady was sitting on a bench. All of a sudden, um, my one buddy's like, ah, man, he's like, uh, he, he, we were walking, he goes, let's go talk to this lady right here. And I was like, yeah, he said, you know what, I have a feeling I think there's something wrong with her back. I was like, so let's go talk to her. So I said, hey, I was like, um, is, can we pray for you about anything? Is your back okay? You know, and she's like, oh my gosh, yeah. She's like, I have like this thing going on with it. And, and I was like, okay. I said, well, hey, can we pray for you? And she's like, okay, sure. And so we pray with her and immediately God just touched her back and she got touched and healed. Here's the cool part. The healing's awesome. But the heart was even he was even more of the prize because here's what happened. She turns, she goes, Oh my gosh. Bless you. Bless you. and uh, But here's here's the cool part. So she turns to us. She goes, oh my gosh. She's like, you don't know my story. She goes, I grew up Lutheran. She's like, and I had some questions because while we, we how while we were practicing the Bible wasn't what I was reading, how the early church was. And she's like, and so I was just asking questions, not sure about it. And then they immediately just kicked her out and kind of just blacklisted her. And so ever since then, she had this hurt by the church. And she says, for the first time, I've seen some Christians who actually remind me of what I read about Jesus in the scriptures. They're just walking along the streets and they're just praying for people and extending love. And she said, I got to go to church. She's like, where do you guys go to church? I got to go. This is what awakening looks like. It's one person at a time. It's touching hearts and it is contagious and it moves like fire, especially when you're committed to it. You know, one thing I will say is that consistency builds transparency. When you are consistent in a city. And that was our heart. We want to hit their weekly, steady heartbeat, steady drum. That those waves, like they're steady on the beach, they, they smooth out the roughest of stones. And that some people we may have approached, they were completely like, get away from me. I don't know you. That's weird. I'm not into that. Well, three years later, four years later, into hitting those same people on a weekly basis, asking, do you want prayer? Do you want to come with us? Eventually say yes. And they come in there, and then God all of a sudden impacts their lives. Consistency builds transparency. Transparency. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I love it. Uh, you know, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit when Jesus fed the 5,000. When he fed the 5,000, there's this thing here where in that whole story, and it's in all four of the Gospels, and it's this amazing story. But the thing I love about it is this Jesus takes a little boy's lunch, and that boy had, that was all that he had. And the little boy didn't just take all what he had and then just try to solve the problem on his own. What did he do? He brought it to Jesus. Jesus took that lunch, he blessed it, multiplied, and was able to feed and impact the 5,000. Here's the thing, though. We all know, though, the story when Jesus was in the wilderness, right? And what was one of the first things that the devil tried to tempt him with? To turn stone into bread. The devil wouldn't have tempted Jesus to do that if it wasn't a true possibility for Jesus to do it. It wouldn't be a real temptation. And so it made me start thinking I'm like, wait a minute. They're in the wilderness here in this story, the 5,000. Jesus could easily turn all these stones into bread to feed the 5,000. I said, but I believe that he wanted to speak something to us prophetically. What I was picking up is that he wants to take your fishes and your loaves. He wants to take what you have. And when you give it to him, he wants to co-minister with you. He wants to take what you have and put it on the table. He could do it all on his own. But he wants to partner with you. He wants to co-minister with you. And that was something that I just the Holy Spirit was just speaking to me on that. I'm like, wow, well, I just need to bring him all my loaves and fishes. Just put it there on the table and say, here, take it. I'm not going to try and just use my resources and try to do it on my own. I'm going to put it on you, give it to you, and then you multiply, and we'll see this thing happen. And so that's really our heart of going after with outreach. <clears throat> Okay, so we felt God uh, then started giving us a strategy of how to operate on a weekly basis. And uh, and along the way, we fine-tuned it um, and kind of, you know, learned things here and there over time. Um, But we did not want to do just random acts. We wanted to be intentional about loving our people. And uh, and so how our nights look is we get a group together. We pray. We go out in the streets. We go in uh, little groups of four. We go out there, and then we literally... Pray with people. Pray for healing on the spot. Pray for them to know. You know, tell them about Jesus. Ask them if they know the Lord. After they want to come back with us. So we kind of meet them on the streets where they're at. Invite them into our family. They come into the coffee shop. They're greeted by people. Now they're in the community in the body. Of Christ and then they're seeing the love that we have for one another which is starting to inspire that's how people know that we're his disciples and so as we're doing that then we begin to worship and what happens Then the presence of God comes down because he inhabits the praises of his people and so they're filling his presence not only the love we have for each other with the love we have for him and then through the message by his word okay it begins to start kind of piercing hearts and the anointing starts breaking things off and so it's like this this, this quad thing, just kind of pronged, just going after someone's heart, that they're getting hit in different ways to reach their heart. And that was a strategy, we believe, that God gave to us in our time of prayer. It wasn't something we learned. It wasn't something that we picked up on the Internet. It was something that we felt was for us to live out, and that was for our situation. And so, uh, But I do want to talk about, though, the importance of strategy. And I don't know if we want to have a few volunteers or have a little exercise. It's kind of fun. Um, any volunteers who want to do this exercise, it's, it's real simple. You don't have to go up front. You're just going to do it right there at your desk. Um, but um, anyways, uh, Paris, uh, by the way, this is my fiance, Paris. And I want to give her a round of a hand for helping me out because she's awesome. She's been cool as a cucumber and helping me get organized. Awesome. Everybody have pens? Who uh, has the paper? It's a, it's a fun little thing. That's it. Uh, So basically, here's the deal. Those of you that have the paper, and we're going to put it up here so you guys can kind of see what it is we are handing out to them, but it's just a bunch of jumbled numbers. And your job right here and right now for the next minute is that you are going to circle the number one, okay? The numbers go all the way up to 50. You're going to circle number one, and then you are going to draw a line. This is what it looks like. You're going to draw a line, then to number two, and draw a circle around that, then to number three, then number four, and we're going to keep going for a minute. And we're going to see how far you can go, okay? It's as simple as that. So you guys get it? Yeah? Does this have to be a straight line? Um, as, as much as you can do in haste, uh, I mean, you know, but, I mean, it, we're not going to be grading on the, the straightness of, so go ahead and start now. You got, you got a time? Uh, it's all right. Oh, you got me. Yeah. Okay. Time? All right, go ahead, stop. Okay, so how how far did you guys get? Twelve. Twelve? Okay. Now, how did you guys feel, though, doing that, trying to find the numbers on this? Was it confusing? Was it, like, a little bit like... Uh... Yeah, it's a, little, it's a little frustrating. It's a little like, okay, like, ah, uh, uh, ah. I remember when I first did that, I was a little like, okay. Now, um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to apply a little bit of strategy of how you guys are going to solve this, okay? And uh, so if you see here, you'll see these lines. There is a quadrant, okay? So there's four kind of little sections. I know it's kind of hard, but the little tiny lines, okay? And now there's going to be a strategy here. You're going to start with one. Okay, but then what you're going to do is you're, you're going to go from this quadrant to this quadrant, to this one, to this one. And that's how it's going to repeat over and over. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then that'll help you kind of narrow it down and make it uh, one-fourth of the size that you've got to look at. So we're going to do it again. Let's see how far you guys get. We're going to go in three, two, one, go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm glad we were able to put this up here uh, so you guys can see what we we're doing do 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 yeah. do, do 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 do. Oh. we out on time okay okay Almost there. Time, okay. That's it. Now how far did you guys get this time? Eighteen. Eighteen, all right, all right. Yeah? All right, awesome, awesome. So that's, that's just a fun little exercise. I like to do to just show the importance of strategy. That when you, as a leader, are able to give the strategy that was that you got from the Lord, you kind of with Moses. I went up on the mountain. I was praying with him, really putting it before him. And I really felt like I got some stuff from my time with him. And uh, and then you start looking at you know the demographics and looking how to apply that and really start thinking through. And uh, and basically then. Um, You produce the strategy there, and it helps your people then begin to go after it. They go a lot further, and they're able to apply themselves a lot easier to it. And so I love it. So another part of strategy is we have to start asking ourselves some questions, especially if you're doing outreach with the church and stuff. And I think it's a great uh, couple questions to look at. But um, there's three things every church has, right? It's in a unique place. They have people, and they have passion. Now, what I want us to do with strategy, I want us to start asking some questions that only you guys can answer, such as, where are we located? Where is your base operation? Where is your church? Where are we located? Are you in a rural town? Are you in an urban area, suburbia? Where are you located? What is the demographic around you? What is the living situations with people around you? You start asking yourselves questions there, and then with your people, what resources do we have with our people? I know one church, for some reason, they have like, it's like 15 dentists go to their church. And they don't know why, they just they just attract dentists and they just love coming there. And so what this church did was, they were like, well, I don't know, we got a lot of dentists, we got to do something with that, I don't know. It just seems like God led them here and we got to do something. So what they do is they do these dental Uh, Cleanings, teeth cleanings, and they go in to these, you know, urban areas and they give free teeth cleanings and they go over into, um, in foreign missions and they'll go on trips and they'll do that kind of thing and offer the dental work over there. And it's this wonderful ministry that this church uniquely can give to their community and to the world around them because God has in their congregation all these dentists that have the expertise to carry that out. And it is a practical, wonderful need and guess what? Practical needs, open and solid soften up the heart to hear and get their spiritual needs met. And so uh, the other thing is passion. What is a focus that animates us? What is something that animates us as a body? You know, there's a church um, out in Las Vegas. What animates them, they love feeding the poor. They love doing the clothes drives. But man, what really animates the people and gets them passionate, man, is the deal with the sex trafficking that's going on over there. They love rescuing people out of that. They love getting involved and standing up for Christ in the midst of that kind of turmoil. But another church, they might have a huge passion to feed the hungry. And so what animates you as a church? What animates that? And those are things that then you start to kind of get this whole, wow, okay, we're kind of seeing here that God's kind of like moving us in this direction. How can we utilize these resources? How can we utilize this passion and see it be used effectively to reach the world around us? And the other thing is we need other boats. I recently was in a meeting with Jeff Swain. He's um, uh, with Convoy of Hope. And he said this, and I, I love this um, phrase that he said, this quote. He said, it's amazing what you can get done when you don't have to get credit for it. Instead of trying to be a one-stop shop where we have, you know, we're on, our name's on everything, what is it that we do really, really well, and what's our niche, and then we could put a lot of our effort and energy into attacking that area, and then what are some other organizations, other churches that really do other things really well that we don't, and how can we partner together? At Awaken, you know, we, have, we, we love doing outreach, and we pray with people on the streets and whatnot, and we, we love them. But there's some people who need extreme help, and they need to go to Teen Challenge. We meet some people on the streets. They're addicted to drugs. I'm not outfitted to deal with somebody who's addicted with drugs. But you know what? There's a group over there at Teen Challenge that are able to take in uh, those guys, and we're able to take them there, and they'll take them in. And we have rapport with them, and they bring their guys out to learn how to do outreach when they're in the program. And so there's this emphasis here where it's like looking at the kingdom and how we're all together. It takes me back to that story with Peter in the boat. In Luke f- uh, 5, 4 through 10, it is that whenever Jesus is done speaking, he said to go out into the deep and cast your net. And so, and so I'm just going to paraphrase here instead of read the whole thing. But basically, he tells him to, Peter throws his net in, what happens? All of a sudden, huge harvest, a lot of fish, the nets start breaking, and Peter calls out then to his partners and other boats to come on in to help him. And here's the crazy part. It says that um, he, say, he signaled to his partners the boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. So after when they had all the fish in their boats, they those both of those ships were about to sink. So if Peter would have just said, you know, I don't need the other boats. I'm going to pull it all in. We're just going to bring it in. That way we have the, the full catch. That boat would have sunk anyways after when he brought in that catch. And so we need other boats. We need to partner with each other. And just like this, the real in the harvest, we need other boats to come in and let's bring it in. And there's more than enough to go around. And uh, and so this is a beautiful picture here. I love that. At the very end, it was this whole thing. That's when Jesus called, you know, uh, James and John, Peter and Andrew. And that's when he said, hey, follow me. I'm gonna make you guys fishers of men. So this whole thing was prophetically speaking to them as well. This miracle had a prophetic sense on it, saying, listen, you guys together are going to reach multitudes together. And it's big, bigger than any one man can shoulder. You all got to be in on this. And they all were. So we have some examples back in Youngstown. Um, we have some other examples to point out, as such as now Youngstown. Uh, Now, Youngstown uh, is a great organization, but it's a lot of other churches. They come together. They find that are heavy crime areas in Youngstown. They set up increased the peace rallies. They do music. They do have... Jump houses for the kids, games for the kids. So kids want to come, they bring their parents, and then we preach the gospel. And it's this amazing thing. And we've seen now over the years of them doing it, we've seen it that literally 70% of the crime rate has decreased in there. Um, and so that's, that's an amazing thing. Um, and then another thing was Meet Me at the Cross we did, which was our Good Friday service for the whole church of Youngstown. Fifteen thousand people, including churches and loss, invited out. For churches were putting it on, and the amazing thing about Arcavelli Center is that for nonprofits it's free to rent out the Cavelli Center. You just have to pay for the staff, which is about three thousand uh, for security and whatnot. And so the churches are like, "Yeah, let's go after this. Let's do this. Let's make a statement for the gospel of Jesus. Let's do something big." And uh, and so there's just some fun things there. Um, so we're, we're, we're nearing here on the time, but, um, I just want to talk a very small little bit. I'm going to try to do my best to kind of wrap this all up in a nice package. Um, charity versus parody, how to do it. One thing I did learn, um, what I learned doing street ministry for the last five years is there has been this kind of cycle where um, you're reaching out, you're loving people, you're, you're giving them food, helping needs, but then um, some people seem to almost like become entitled over time. And how do you deal with that? Um, what we found is the first couple of times, they had appreciation. Next couple, they had kind of anticipation, like, I wonder if that's happening again. And then, like, expectation when they came in. I'm, I'm kind of expecting, where, so where's the food at? I'm expecting it. And then he had the entitlement where I not only want the food that you're giving, I want roast beef, even though you only have turkey. And, and we've had to deal with that. And uh, and then there, what happens is you establish this dependency where you are now a place that where I get my Sunday night meal. This is my dependency. I don't, I'm not going to put my hand to the plow. I don't want to work for this food because I'm getting it all for free. Right. You know, why pay for the cookie when you can get it for free in that sense. And so that's the whole emphasis here. That's called dependency. And so we wanted to love people well enough that we're not just creating dependency in some people who don't just kind of get it right away. But we want to create a way and how we can get them out of that and get them on the right track. Um, And so it's kind of Jesus' model, right? He didn't just give us a hand out. He gave us a hand up. He brought us, lifted us into heavenly places. He pulled us up to live in righteousness with Him, to rule and reign with Him. And there's this beautiful thing that He does where He grafts us into the family. It's not just, I did a great thing for you, see you later. No, He wanted to pull you in. And what did He want? He wanted relationship. Some of the most impactful ways to get rid of dependency is to build relationship with people. Sometimes I know it's, it's easier to just kind of do the good deed and walk away. But what we found is we wanted to be so entrenched in this city that we wanted to then say, hey, we'll take you to church. Hey, the widow that we met in there, we're going to come to your apartment and visit you on Thursday night. And we're going to play some board games and just get to know you and hang out with you. Hey, and we, and we would. And we would run her to the hospital when she needed because she had no family. You know, caring for widows and orphans, you know, all this stuff, man. It takes relationship. And it's in that relationship where you really start seeing people grow and be discipled in Christ. And that's how Jesus is with us, right? He walks with us. He talks with us, you know, like that whole song goes. Um, there's a beautiful thing there in Psalms 89:14. I love this. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. God desires us to actually walk in a similar way. In Micah 6, 8, it says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And uh, just to kind of land the plane, act justly. Justice is described as this, fairness or reasonableness, especially in the way people are treated or decisions are made. And mercy is compassion, kindness, or forgiveness shown especially to someone over whom a person has power. And so the two together, I have mercy and compassion on you and what's going on, but I'm also going to hold you accountable and, and call you higher because you are meant for more. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, the, the mercy and justice? Uh, yes, uh, justice. Fairness or reasonableness, especially in a way People are treated or decisions are made. And then mercy is compassion, kindness, or forgiveness shown especially to someone over whom a person has power. Excuse me. There's a great quote uh, from this book, Toxic Charity. I really love this book. Really learned a lot and really applied a lot of it um, to what we do in ministry. And I I have a copy of it here. But there's this quote saying Forging ahead to meet a need, we can ignore the basics in relationship, mutuality, and accountability. In doing so, relationships can turn toxic or become a needs based relationship. Rather, these people, we want to see them become fully fledged and independent, and able to go after the Lord and do great things for Him. The goal is for them to become disciples and to come to church. Um, the goal isn't just to meet that physical need, and um, and so I have a couple examples, but I don't think we have. Uh, where are we at on time? I don't know if I have. I'm able to share in depth. What'd you say? I'm sorry. Ten minutes. Okay. Um, just a little bit here. It's going to be rapid fire. I wish I could spend more time on this and I could answer questions or something after. Um, But food pantries, um, amazing ministries, love them. But um, there's a new kind of movement happening now where a lot of churches are switching over from food pantries and going to food co-ops. There's an organization called Food Security for America that actually helps convert food pantries into food co-ops where it goes from just giving the food away to now we have food here, and it's at a very, very discounted bargain kind of price. And uh, and so what would cost $10 in the market would be like $2 or $1. And if you can't afford it, then there would be some odd jobs around the store, such as stacking boxes or stocking shelves or helping bag groceries for the other people coming in. Here's the difference. Over time, in the food pantries that I've helped with, for some reason, people coming to get the food seem to have like this attitude with us trying to give them the food. And, and I, I'm, at first I was like, I don't understand, like... I don't know. I don't get it. And then until I start looking into the psyche of it was that people are coming in there and they there's an, a subconscious thing where you're the giver and they're the taker. They're the one. that are like the beggar. And there is a kind of like power thing where you have a one up on me. You did this good thing for me. And, and I was like, and I didn't fully understand, but I started noticing people became more entitled, more angry, more impatient, not wanting the double-stuffed Oreos, but they want the Nutter Butters. And why don't we have Nutter Butters this month? Well, I don't know. This is just what we gave. Well, I'm upset. And uh, so you see this, but what's going on is there is that dependency where they feel they're entrapped, by they can only have whatever you give them. And uh, so the food co-op, what happens is now they turn them from just being someone who's just getting a handout now somebody who you're allowing them to have a hand up and now they're a valued customer and there's somebody coming in and you need them to come in because they need to buy the food or else it's just going to go to waste. Right. And so there's this thing here where there's that equal level power playing field and it makes people feel loved, makes people feel appreciated. You know, the very basics that we all love in relationship, it's huge, and uh, and so it's just something that kind of like it made me really start thinking about the way how we do things. Like, how are we loving people? And how can we love them better? I want to love people better. It's not so much about what well, we always did it or this is what I was used to because, you know, I thought it was great. But now learning more and more, I was like, man, I want to. I do. I want to love people on a deeper, deeper level. How can we do this? Um, similar idea with closed closets. You know, turning them into you know a family store. Um, it's very similar thing, very very low, very very low price. This and that, but the same thing, and, and it's non-perishable, so it's nice. Um, you know, another thing, you know, uh, I uh, there's uh, Robert Lupton in his book. He said this great example. And I never realized this. He said during this Christmas time, there's this great ministry that would give gifts, go up to houses in the hood. And they would give them gifts, you know, for the kids that probably wouldn't have Christmas presents. And he thought it was a great idea. Well, he moved into the hood. And he was staying with one of his neighbors. And they were sipping coffee and just enjoying. And all of a sudden, they knocked on the door and gave the presents. But he noticed that the father of the family stood up and went away in the other corner, sad, downtrodden, and was crying. And the mom had this look of, like, smiling to be polite, but was kind of upset, too. And he was like, I don't understand. And that's when he said it dawned on me that what was happening was they're not going to deny the kids the presents because who, who would ever want to do that? But it totally deflated the father and made him feel worthless that I can't provide Christmas presents for my kids. I can't give them. And we all know it's better to give than to receive. We all know that feeling when you give to somebody. Man, it feels amazing when you give gifts to people on Christmas and they open it up and you know it was hard-earned money and I made this. So what they did at this family store is they opened up the old toy shop And all the donations they used to get, they just put them in the shop, unwrapped, way discounted prices. And people who couldn't afford them, they just worked it off. Um, You know, sweep the floors and then you can have it. You know, do this and then you can have it. And it was this amazing thing um, to see uh, that happen. And people were able then to give their kids the gifts and it gave them that ability. All of this ministers to their heart and all of this then makes people more open for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be preached to them. It's loving people where they're at. Um, And so we saw that. The three things seeing former closed closet recipients working as paid employees behind the counter was a hopeful sign. Discovering bargains generates excitement universally. We all love a good bargain. Oh my gosh, you know, like look at this. And people would come and you had to show proof of your residency so you pick your neighborhood you're going to pick and impact and so when you show the proof of your residency then you're able to go to that store. And then being greeted as a valued customer not charity cases affirms self-esteem. Uh, and so just kind of wrapping it up, uh, I'm sorry it's a little bit longer, um, uh, is we we did this initiative uh, in our at our church and um, Basically, I had this idea of called us Love Thy Neighbor initiative. And we just went out to the cities from our church, and we just said, you know what, we're going to aim to give a year's worth of hours in one summer. 8,760 hours in one summer of, of love, compassion, and just loving our neighbors and just going out there and doing it. We're not going to base it off of how many turkeys we give away, or how many this, that, or that, or how much money was given. What we're wanting to do is our time, because time is a major component to relationship, and we want to be consistent with it. And so uh, we actually reached up to 14,000-something hours at the end of the summer, and our people grabbed a hold of it, and they went after it. And that was like, if some, some people like to show numbers to kind of show progress, so that was a way of doing it. And, and not being that it's about an object or what we gave, but more on how we loved and how we were able to gift our time. And um, that was the overall message you want to give is giving your time, not just of the material, but, you know, of your heart. And um, so we saw that and it was cool. A little guy, well, not, uh, a little guy, I mean his son and a single dad uh, went out and they said, we're just going to clean up the blocks in our neighborhood in Bessemer, PA. That's where we're from. We have a little red wagon. We're going to pull weeds. And he just went after it. Every single week, just hitting it up. And literally, they, you know, he's putting the Facebook posts out there because we wanted to share the stories. And no joke, the whole city council and everybody got together, met with this guy, his little boy in a little red wagon, and five other churches, and they said, we're going to have a red wagon day. We're all going to get together, and the whole city is going to get behind this of cleaning up our blocks, cleaning up our streets. And, and, they, and they preached the gospel to these people. Uh, and so it was this amazing thing how it kind of got the city behind them and, they, and just totally were able to, try to transform uh, their area and be able to be a light for Jesus. Um, and so just... Um, summing it up here in close, I don't claim to know all the answers, obviously. I can only share what I've known, what I've seen, what I've applied. And that's my experience. It isn't theory, but that's my experience. And, um, uh... I just wanted to encourage us to maybe look at some of the things, uh, how we're doing stuff, or if you're dreaming of starting something, and I just wanted to share some of the lessons that we've learned, some of the stuff that we've applied and saw, and hope to just empower you and better you and what you guys are wanting to do with your church or whatever you're starting as far as a nonprofit. And so thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys have any questions, I'd be more than happy to answer. Um, Again, I don't know where we're at on time. I, I do apologize. Okay, I'm so sorry if uh, I went over. Yeah. Just reference to that book you made. Yes. Book title. book title is called Toxic Charity. Robert Lupton is the author. His grandson was actually on my leadership team. Um, Robert Lupton, uh, Toxic Charity. I'm sorry. Um, he did a lot of work in Atlanta, based in Atlanta. Did a lot of stuff for the 96 Olympics there. Um seeing how top-down and all this stuff. So he has a lot of great experience. Um, so it was stuff that helped us. It was a like gleaner for us. Any other questions or anything like that? What is your last name? My last name is uh, LaCella. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I, I appreciate you guys coming in, wanting to learn. I hope you guys got some, a few takeaways. If anything, I hope I... Uh, was able to give uh, a decent explanation of how we do the stuff that we do. So thank you, guys. Thank you.